Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Teach us in this chapter that most people will skip over when they read it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of those chapters. It's a genealogy. This is one that I know that most people skip over because I did when I was a teenager and a young person. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and I would jump down to the bottom of the, of the genealogy where it stops saying begat and start back in again. Over the years, this has become, actually, this is one of my favorite genealogies because there's so much detail in it. And we're going to look at just a couple of things that we can learn from this genealogy. We're only going to spend one day on it, mostly because I don't want to reread, reread these names for two or three weeks. <laughs> All right? Like reading, them out, reading them to myself is one thing. Reading them out loud is another. These are good ones. I know most of these names pretty well. So we're going to read this chapter, and then we're going to look at just a couple of things on this uh, chapter. Starting at verse 1. And the Lord said, oh, take that back. We're going to be in chapter 5. Have my bookmark in the wrong place. As soon as I started reading it, I'm going, my bookmark is in the wrong page. All right, starting at 5, verse 1. This is the book of generation of the generations of Adam. In that day that the Lord created him, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam and in the day that they were created. And Adam lived... A hundred and thirty years, and begot a son in his own likeness after his lineage, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam were after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Adam lived were nine hundred thirty-seven years, uh, thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived a hundred and five years, and begot Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan, and Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalel, and Canaan lived after he begat Mahalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalel lived 65 years, and he begat Jared. And Mahalel lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalel were 805 years, and he died. And Jared lived 160 years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat, begat Methuselah 300 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 187 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived to be 182 years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground within which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech 
after he begat Noah, lived after he begat Noah 500 years, 595 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 707 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, so we have a long list here, long lives, and just a couple of things to look at on this uh, genealogy. First and foremost in here that every child listed is not necessarily the oldest child. All right, how do we know that? Because it starts with Shem. And we know Adam and Eve have at least two children before Shem. Seth. Seth. Uh, Seth, excuse me. Joe, no, no one's going to have Seth, Shem. <laughs> he has Seth. So we know that the, each child in this is not necessarily the oldest child. We're following the line from Adam to Noah, the ninth, the ninth generation from, from Adam. All right? So that's the first thing to keep in mind is that these aren't always the oldest children. So how many kids did they have before they had these first kids? We don't know. All right, we have no idea, we just know the children that are listed. If you total these whole years up, we know that from creation to the flood is 1,656 years. All right, good bit of time, but not, not, a, not a great amount of time. But in that time, man is going to get so evil that God's going to judge them. And it's an amazing capacity that man has to get evil. The further and further people get from God, the more they get into evil and darkness. We're seeing it even in our country. Our country started 240-some years ago on righteous terms and has gone to a very evil world, a nation to be going in and getting worse. It doesn't take long when we turn our back on God to get into depravity. And this is a world going on right now where depravity is getting worse. So bad that when we get to Jonah's time, uh, Jonah, boy, I'm going to mix up all these names all, all over. By the time we get to Noah's time, God's going to judge the world. And if you look at these things, it's kind of an interesting thing to look at. At 130 years old to Seth, is, he's the first one to look at Adam is going to be alive during most of this time. Okay. Noah is only going to miss getting to know Adam by 126 years. Okay. He's not going to build an ark until he's 500. He's not going to get on the ark until he's 600. So he just missed getting to know his great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> All right? By just, by just, basically for them, one generation. Have you ever really thought about how long these people's lives were and how much they overlapped? Most people don't. Uh, I never really appreciated it until I actually started writing down all these into a, into a chart, and then I put a graph together and saw the overlaps of all these lives. And seeing these were long lives. These guys were able, for the most part, to go to talk to Adam and Eve and ask them what it was like to actually walk with God. You know, 
and yet the world is getting extremely evil during this period of time. And they have the representatives that can go all the way back to the beginning to talk to. And yet, how many people probably ignored Adam and Eve? They're starting to do what's right in their own eyes. Well, yeah, I know. I know great-great-grandpa, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, you know, going back to, you know, these generations. Yeah, I know they talk about God. They talk about having walked with God in the, in the garden. But did they truly believe it? You know, we've grown past all that superstition. We've grown past this idea that there's a God who created the world. We've grown past that there's a God at all. <laughs> Which is why God brought judgment to the world. And why do I use those terms? Because those are the exact terms we hear in today's world. Well, we don't understand how you guys can believe in that superstition that there's a God, that there's a creator, that there's a God who loves you. you know, we just know that there's, there's no right or wrong. It's, it's whatever you believe. Exactly what this book is building up to. But Noah is born 126 years after Adam dies. You know, and we look at this, you know, that all of this is going on. Seth is still old enough around, so he's going to be able to tell them about it. And we go, God, what is it you want us to know? And one of the things that you all know about me is I believe that every word in the book is there for a reason. Now, I, like I told you, when I was younger, I skipped over the genealogies, but I'm finding great knowledge from the genealogy now and great understanding. People had the opportunity to go find out about God firsthand through most of this 1,600 years. There's only about 600 years where they don't have Adam and Eve around to tell them about the days in the garden, the days when they messed up and were kicked out. And we already talked about this. Can you imagine being Adam and Eve? The only ones in the entire of humanity that knew perfection. Watching every generation of their children through eight generations getting further and further from God and knowing mostly that it's their fault. Not that they're fully responsible for their kids, but we all as parents know how we feel when our kids go the wrong path. The kids are responsible for their own decisions, but yet we as parents like to blame ourselves. If I had only done something better or something different, the bad news is the kids would have still made bad decisions. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there with, your, with that. Is they responsible for their decisions? Did we make mistakes? Obviously, we're not perfect, so we cannot be perfect parents. But the question is, did we do the best we knew how? If we are doing the best we knew how at the time that we did, then we cannot second guess ourselves. Even if they were bad decisions at that time and we've grown beyond those decisions, don't second guess your decisions you made. Put it in God's hands because God promises he can restore the years that the locusts and the canker worms have destroyed. That's our great promise. We put it into God's hands and say, God, I'm putting, I'm putting my kids in your hands. I'm putting my own life in your hands, God, because I destroyed it. And all of us can look back at periods of our life where we destroyed our life with bad decisions. Some of them greatly destroyed, some of them moderately destroyed, some of them just, some decisions just destroyed little sections of our life. 
But we turn those all over to God and say, God, you've got all my failures. God, you know what? I'm giving you all my good things. And all my successes are yours too, God. I'm nothing. Because in reality, anything that we do isn't going to stand up before God anyway. So we see this story here coming in. We see in uh, verses 19 to 24, we see the story of the sixth person from Adam, Enoch. Now Enoch is kind of an interesting character because in a day when everybody's living to be 900 years old, Enoch lives to a whopping age of 365 years. Why? Because it says he walked with God. He has this beautiful testimony in the midst of all these long-lived people. It says he walked with God, and one day he was not. What does that verse mean? God took him home, snatched him up. Our word for it would be he was raptured. God just said, okay, Enoch, you, you're walking with me. Come on. We're having such a good time. Come on home. And took him home. One of only two people in the Bible that never died. Enoch and Elijah. You know, kind of an interesting character. In a time when people are so closely to the beginning of time, he is the one that walks with God. To such a degree that God says, Enoch, you're, you're close enough to perfect that I'm taking you home with me. Quite a testimony. He's three generations from Noah. He is the great-great-grandfather of Noah and doesn't live long enough for, to meet Noah. <laughs> and yet Noah has some righteousness in his line to be able to point back to. Now, does this mean every single person at this, this early on was bad? No, not necessarily. God always has a remnant of people. Always. When we get to Noah, it's a very small, small remnant. It's Noah. That's a pretty small remnant, but God still has a remnant. How many people lived at that time? At least millions. Probably closer to the high billions. Probably close to today's population was living at the same time before Noah. A very large population. These people lived a thousand years. They had babies for a long time and populated the earth and started living against God. So we see here Enoch, very short-lived. And Enoch gives birth to a man named Methuselah. So the person with the shortest lifetime is Enoch. He gives birth to Methuselah, who's going to live for 969 years. This is the longest recorded life in the Bible. Now, I don't know how many of us would want to live to be 969 years old. Uh, if I could have the lifestyles they did and be healthy at that point because their DNA was good and, and they were probably healthy a lot longer, it probably wouldn't be that big a deal. But I don't think in our day and age where our DNA is as bad as it is that I want to be 969 years old. Because most people in their hundreds are struggling. Even in their 90s, they're struggling because our DNA has gotten so bad over the years, but they're, they're real close to perfect. Adam and Eve have a perfect DNA until they sin. And it slowly starts going downhill from that. So he lives to be a long time 
and he is going to be the grandfather of Noah. Grandfather. And we don't know how righteous he is. He is not righteous enough to get on the ark with Noah. Matter of fact, he is going to die five years. Uh, no, he dies the year of the flood, which is kind of an interesting thing. Did he die a natural cause by, during that year, or did he die in the flood? We don't know the answer. If he died in the flood, that means that he did not believe Noah, his grandson's message about God. Kind of an interesting thought process. You know, we know that Noah gets to preach to the world, and we'll talk more about it later, he gets to preach to the world for 120 years while he's building this ark. And his success rate for that is that he, his wife, his three sons, and their wives get on the boat. Preaches for 120 years and nobody gets on the boat with him. How would you like to have that as your success rate? I have a zero for success rate, and his sons and stuff probably will get on the boat. <laughs> okay, it doesn't, it doesn't really indicate that they were believing the message. It was just that dad said get on the boat, and they were saved because they obeyed dad. But it also says he had sons and daughters. There may have been sons and daughters that didn't get on the boat, so it may be that those three listened. We need to be very careful about how we look at our results when we talk to people. Our job is to be obedient to God. Share the message. Share the gospel with people. You know, whether people believe you or not doesn't matter. Whether they turn to God or not is not your problem. Your job is to share the gospel message, and the gospel message is simple. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God and deserve hell. Jesus died for our sins, except Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And ask them if they want to become Christians. Ask them once in a while. You know, most of us have one big problem as Christians. We're not too, not too bad at sharing that people are bad. We're not even too bad at sharing that Jesus loves them enough to die for them. But somehow we get scared when it comes to the point of, do you want to know Jesus? Do you know what I have found over the years? If I just ask that question, there's a lot of people that say yes and want to know Jesus. We need to get to the place where we ask, do you want to know God? Do you want to know Jesus? Because there's a lot of people out there that understand they're a sinner. Under, kind of believe that Jesus died for them. But have never asked him to be their Lord and Savior. There are people that sit in churches their entire life that don't make a decision to come to Christ. They know the stories. They know that Jesus died for them. They know they're a sinner, but don't know him. When you know God, you know that you know him. <laughs> There's not even a question that you know him when you know him. If you have those questions, talk to him and say, God, do I really know you? Come into my life and save me if you, you know and make sure that you know him because when he's there you know that you know him he will change you behold we are a new creation in christ first corinthians 5 17. christ has come in to set us free when you're in bondage and you're set free you know that you are set free 
Did Methuselah die in the flood because he rejected his grandson's message? Quite possibly. How hard is it for us as adults to listen to anything that somebody younger says sometimes? Well, if you've gone through enough life, maybe you'll get to where I am and be able to tell me anything. When you've seen as much disappointment as I have, you'd understand that your, your belief in this God that can answer all, all requests is, is, is a, a fairy tale. We need to get rid of our experience sometimes and just say, God, you are true. And accept what he says. Is it easy? No, pride gets in our way so often. You know, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm going to, and I'm better than you because I know what I'm talking about. What you said sounds really good, and, and I wish I could believe it, but I've been there, got, been there, done that, got the T-shirt for it. <laughs> you know, and we can just push away. You know, I've gone through so many bad things. I know that it's just a cycle, and you know what? Life is a cycle of hard trials. And it really is. But when you have the attitude toward God, that God, all things work together for good, and God, you're in control, we understand that I may not understand why God's doing anything. And I usually don't. <laughs> because it's not my job to understand what God's doing. My job is to obey God. My job is to go through the trials of whatever he's sending my way. And saying to God, you're the one that knows what's going on. Now, in my mind, I may think that God has lost his marbles and gone, gone on a vacation and, and forgotten about me. But he has not. He is always in control. God is always good. You know, and we need to keep in mind that he is always good and he's always got a good plan for us in mind. Even when we can't see how that plan is going to work out, we don't understand it. He's got a good plan in store. Now, it might be that we're going to be an example to others of how to walk through a storm. You go, well, Pastor, what's that? Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the storm. He's the only one of the 12 disciples that had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water because Jesus said, come. Any one of the 12 disciples could have gotten out of the boat and walked to Jesus and walked on water. Uh, and they decided that that, was, that event was going to be recorded in the scriptures for him to, that event to be known 2,000 years later. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Now, he did a good job until he started looking at the storm. <laughs> he looked at the storm, and then he started sinking. Because you know what went through his mind. He's looking at the storm and going, where am I in the middle of the storm? Well, by the way, I'm not even supposed to be able to walk on water in the first place. Okay? All these doubts assailed him when he started looking at the circumstances. How many times are we walking along in the middle of the storm, walking on top of the water until we look at the storm and go, uh, God, there's a pretty big storm out here. Uh, God, what am I doing out in the middle of a storm in the first place? Uh, hold it. I can't walk above all the stuff and then we start sinking. We've all been there at some point in our life where we are walking on top of the storm, on top of the weather, until we realize that we're doing something we're not supposed to be able to do, and we take our eyes off God and fall flat. Jesus tells us, well, God tells us in the Old Testament, we're to mount up on wings of eagles. How does an eagle weather a storm? 
It goes flying right through the clouds in the storm and flies above the storm. But to get to that freedom above the storm, they have to go through and get buffeted by the storm. How do we get through it? We have to go through the storm. And God is right there. He's given us the strength to do it. And then we get above the storm and we get to walk on the water, fly above the storm. I don't care which one you want to look at, but we get to be above the problems when we keep our eyes on him and let him be the one that helps us in the middle of the storm. Peter was saved when he started sinking by saying, help me. <laughs> he knew what to do. And Jesus picked him up, put him in the boat, and protected him. In the midst of the storm, got up, said, peace be still, and the storm stopped, and they went on, they continued their trip. How many times do we take our eyes off God, put it on the storm, and falter in the storm? Hopefully there's been times in your life when you've kept your eyes on God and walked above the storm and made it through the storm. We have both sides of the story in our life. And you know what? God loves us the same whether we fall in the middle of the storm or if we soar above the storm, he still loves us. If we soar above the storm, he's there with us celebrating in our success. If we falter in the midst of the storm, he picks us up and carries us through the storm. Either way, we win. Because everything about God and us is by grace. I hope you understand the power of grace. Grace allows me to love others that, that fail because I know that I don't deserve the successes that I've had is God's grace. And, God, and I know that God still has grace on me when I fail, so that should generate me having grace on others. If you have anybody that you can look down your nose on because they haven't gotten as developed as you are, you've got a problem that you don't understand grace. You don't understand the grace that got you, the successes that you do, and you probably don't understand the failures that you had getting to where you're at or where I'm at. I have failed so many times before God that I can't afford to be looking down on others, and I will face other judgment uh, trials ahead where I'm going to fail again and get through it only by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. John Newton wrote that song because when he got saved, he understood what an awful, evil person he was. He was a slave trader. He had a crew that he drove to, to work. He was not a kind person. His crew was afraid of him. The slaves that he sold were, were them. And he recognized that God loved him enough to die for him. Saul, the apostle Saul, or apostle Paul, while well, he saw, went out, arrested Christians, and had them murdered. Probably murdered some himself. All thinking he's doing it for God. Finally gets saved and can always look back and say, God, you loved me, a murderer, an abuser of your church, and you loved me. We need to understand that there is nobody that is beyond the love of God. Nobody who is beyond the grace of God. When we look at others, are we looking at them through the eyes of grace that God loves them? Jesus died for them. 
the message that Noah is going to give, and we haven't gotten to him except at the very end of the message, is that God loves you. He's got a plan for you. There's a way to get out of the coming judgment. There's a judgment coming to this world for everybody. At some point, everybody is going to die. Uh, with COVID-19 right now, everybody's thinking about a lot about death. But you know, COVID-19 is nothing in its death rate compared to a normal death rate. Eight people per second die in this world. Eight people per second. 480 people a minute die. How many of them are slipping into a, a death that's going to send them to hell? How many people do we know that will end up in hell, or at least into eternity, before the end of the year? Most of us will know somebody who's going to die sometime this year. If not this year, within the next five years, you're going to have somebody that you know that's going to die. Whether it's family, friends, neighbors, when they die, they stand before God, either at the judgment seat of Christ in the, in, for righteousness and Christians, or at the white throne judgment to be sent into eternal damnation. This one talks about getting us up to that point of judgment. Now, the good news for Noah is his father is going to die five years. Lamech dies five years before the flood. I believe that's God's grace and mercy on Noah so that his father, if his father was going to reject the message, that he didn't have to think about his father being outside that door when God closed that door. Because you imagine what that would be like? God shut the door and your father is out there. Your uncle is out there. Your brother's out there. They were laughing at you just a few minutes ago. They were laughing at you a couple minutes ago before the rain started falling. They were laughing at you, you know, for 120 years. All of us have family members and friends that laugh at us because of our Christianity. But there's coming a time when they won't be laughing. They won't be laughing and we'll be, I tried to tell you. I gave you the message. We see through this whole list of people that God is reaching out to people. Noah would have known every generation that had been born except for Adam, and he just missed Seth by a couple, by a couple of years, and he's not going to know Enoch because Enoch had such a short life. But out of the nine generations that were there, Noah's going to know six of them during his lifetime. Father dies just before the flood. His grandfather dies, I believe he died in the flood. But he died the year of the flood at the very least. All of these people that are out there, how many people does our life touch out and reach? Many. Many dozens at the very least. And if you really think about it, if you've lived any length of time, you may have touched hundreds of people's lives. How have you touched their lives? Have you been an example of the way Christ says to live? 
Or have you been the bad example? If you've been the bad example, put it in God's hands and let him get grace and mercy on it. You know, one of the greatest examples is you might have been a bad example. Say, God, don't live like me. <laughs> don't live like me. If you've been the right example, say, please try to live as close to me. That's what Paul told Timothy and Titus. Follow me as I follow Christ. And he's probably thinking, don't go back to when I was abusing the church. <laughs> but now that I've been teaching the church and growing the church, follow me. If we're a Christian, that should be our prayer. Don't follow, you know, don't follow what I did in the past. It was dumb, bad things. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes our kids and our, and our friends that don't know God are going, especially kids, well, Mom, Dad, you just don't want me to have the fun you had when you were growing up. And we're going, no, it wasn't fun. <laughs> there are consequences to what you're thinking is fun. There are consequences to the bad lifestyle. Most of us have had something in our life that we look back on and say, if I could change that one thing in my life and not have done it, I wouldn't be suffering the consequences for that activity. All of us will have that. I don't care what age you get saved, there's going to be something in your life that you're going to say, I wish I had never done. And people are going to go, well, you, you still survived. I go, yeah, but you don't know the hurt in the heart because of this, of it. But you know, we might not like to relive it, but it may be the point that we tell people, I am so glad that God gave me grace through all this. Don't, don't go through this problem. Don't go through this. But also understand that everybody is responsible for their own, act, their own decisions. They will face consequences for their own decisions. Uh, when you're dealing with your grandchildren, give them God's love. Give them God's mercy. Tell them God's stories. If, they're teenage, if your grandchildren are teenagers or your great-grandchildren are teenagers, help them learn to make decisions. You know, when they're kids, we tell them what to do. You are going to do this, you are going to do that, and you're going to be in trouble if you don't. When they're transitioning between children to adults, our job is a little harder. We have to start teaching them to think about the consequences. If you do this, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to have all kinds of fun. Well, what about when you don't have fun? When you, get, when you have gotten in the car when you were drunk and gotten in an accident, you have gotten into bed with somebody that, that you don't love and are not married to, what, what are the consequences? You start getting addicted to your drugs, what are the consequences? We have to start thinking about the long term, and it's our job as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, to help our teenage family members think about the consequences. Now, are they going to listen? Probably not. No more than we listen to our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Not any better than we listen to God when he tells us <laughs> over and over to not do things. You know, it's amazing to me when we go through the scriptures how many times God has repeated himself to warn us about what not to do. And how many times we look at the children of Israel because they're our greatest example or the disciples and say, God, boy, they were really dumb and thick-headed and didn't listen. But if we really start looking at our life, we are really dumb, thick-headed, and stupid. We don't listen to God any better than they did. And there are consequences that we deal with because we don't listen to what he tells us. And then we try to teach our kids, our grandkids, don't make the mistakes that I'm doing. And they're going, they're going to be dumb, stupid, and thick-headed like we were and say, well, you, you still survived, but I'm going to go do it. 
and we shake our heads, we cry, because we know that they're going to go through all the heartache and the pain that we went through. Our job then is to be prepared to love them when they come out the other side, just as God does to us. When we're dumb, stupid, and thick-headed and do the wrong things, God is on the other side of it to wrap his arms around us and say, welcome back. Now, can we get it right the next time? <laughs> just as we are to do with our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids, I'm still here. I still love you, even though you were being dumb, thick-headed, and stupid. <laughs> I still love you. And God's a great example. And I've said this many times. It's amazing to me how many times God repeats himself in the Bible because of his patience and his love for us. Because he knows we're not going to listen the first time. He knows we're probably not going to listen the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, fifteenth time, the hundredth time. And finally, at some point, we might begin to listen. And he teaches the same story in the scriptures over and over and over again. Because he knows that we have to hear things several times before we even get it into our brain. I have met so many people that they get saved, and usually they will tell you, this is the first time I've heard the gospel message. I'm going, okay, you've been sitting in the church for, for the last uh, three years, and you haven't heard it any of the other 300, you know, uh, 900 times it's been spoken. <laughs> and you know what? It's probably true. It is the first time they actually heard it. It may have hit their eardrums. <laughs> it may have hit their brain. But they never heard. How many times does God speak to us and we go, God, this is the first time I've heard this. This is the first time I've heard that this was not what I was supposed to be doing. And, I'm, and I've told you, I've, 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 I joke with God sometimes. I'm reading the Bible, and I try to read my Bible every year, through every year, and I do a pretty good job at it most years. And there's still times in, after 40 years, I read a verse and say, God, when did you put this verse in the Bible? It has never been here for 40 years. This verse has not been here. Where, where, when did you put this verse in my Bible? <laughs> now, do I know that that verse has always been there? Yes, that verse has always been there. But it took me 30, 40 times <laughs> before I heard that verse. Is it a good thing for us to be that be that uh, slow. No. But God understands that that's how we are. Do we have that same understanding with each other? You know, as a church, do we have that understanding with, about each other that each person is being slow, stupid, and thick-headed, <laughs> just like I am? If we can really start to understand that, that should open up grace for one another. When we understand that our children aren't going to be perfect like us, <laughs> you know, we can be able to show them love and compassion. Because unfortunately, they are being just like us. And we need to be able to understand that they need to grow. And we need to be able to give them that room to grow. And love them when they get hurt. Lift them up. Help them when they f have to live under the consequences of their bad decisions. Yes, we try our best to give the, teach them and so they don't have to go through the consequences. And we get better and better at it. The better an example we are, the more likely they are to, to not have to go through the hardships. But they're going to go through hardships no matter how good, and, how good an example we set. And our grandkids will go through 
hardships and consequences no matter how good an example we set and their parents set. And our great kids, maybe not as deep of, deep of problems as we do because there is that role where they get to see good decisions being made and they start making better decisions. But they're always going to make bad decisions. Somewhere in their life they're going to make bad decisions. And their bad decisions will be different than ours maybe. Maybe we will steer them away from some of the really bad decisions we made. But they're still going to make bad decisions and have to go through consequences. Why? Because we're human beings and we're not perfect. All of us will always make mistakes. Our job is to love it, not to excuse it. With our kids, our grandkids and everything, we're not going to say, okay, well, you just go do what you want. We're going to teach them God's word. We're going to teach them what God says. We're going to encourage them to think with God. Am I going to get to the place where sin is unthinkable? Maybe in certain areas. But you know, I've seen so many people, even good Christian families, where certain sins are not unthinkable. Kids, I want you to always tell the truth and be, be good. Phone rings, tell them I'm not here. Yeah. The other thing I love, we tell our kids, don't talk to strangers. And we bring our little kids and say, here, talk to everybody in church. <laughs> They're all strangers to you, but go talk to them. What confusion are we giving to our kids when we set different standards with them? They don't understand that the fact that we're understanding that church members are usually pretty good, and I know them, so they're not really strangers. But to those poor kids, they're strangers. <laughs> we need to be very careful about how we perceive things. One of the things I learned as a manager, sometimes it was a lot better to pe tell people why decisions were being made than just to demand obedience. So they would know that certain times there's a reason not to do it, and certain times there's a reason to do it because they knew the why. God is willing to tell us the why. As our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren get older, we need to be able to explain to them the why. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we make the decisions we believe? Are they necessarily going to believe it? No better than we did. How many times did we have to be told before we understood the why? We need to be very patient with them and keep up the constant repetition and keep up the con consistency in our example. And then do the really hard thing when we fail. And note that I said when we fail, <laughs> be ready to apologize to our, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. You know what? I was a really bad example in that. I am sorry that I, I did such a bad, bad thing. Show them that we fail also. Because any time you treat others like you never fail, and they know that you fail, they're not listening to you anymore. If we can humble ourselves and be willing to apologize to them, the better off we're going to be. Is it easy? No. I, I have kids. <laughs> I know how hard it is to say, you know what, I was a bad example on that. I didn't do that right. That goes a long ways, though, when you really, truly mean it and you say, I, was, I did it wrong. Because none of us do it right all the time. We may be doing lots of things right, but there's always things we're not doing right. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us as a church to be more of an example.
of how to live for you. Humble us and make us willing to ask for forgiveness from those that have watched us when we've done wrong. Lord, we ask that you go and show us how to live better towards you. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will turn their hearts and lives over to you. They will go from just the understanding in the brain to an actual relationship with you. That they will confess that they are a sinner and truly repent of their sins and turn to you for salvation, that you will give them a new life in you. And Lord, if there's anybody that makes that decision, that you will give them the opportunity to send us an email, a letter, or if they're in this building, to come forward and talk to me. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.